The way we think about our health and the health of our family is so important. In this episode, I'm sharing all the ways I've learned to actually manage my family's health and why I think it is so important. Talking about focusing on health when we feel good, not just when we're sick. And the books I use to record everybody's health history. I think it is so important to have several doctors on your team, not just one, just because sometimes you need more than one opinion and everybody has different experiences. There's nothing more important than health. So I think this topic is just such an important one. We're talking about functional medicine and concierge doctors and fighting like hell for the people you love. Let's go. You're listening to the How to Be Awesome at Everything podcast, where we're obsessed with life hacks that make your life more awesome. Your host, Lindsay Dickhout, is an entrepreneur and business owner, a mom and wife, and someone who wants to do things over the top at all times. This concept started as a collection of things Lindsay has learned that she was documenting to give to her kids one day, and now it's a podcast. Join us on this journey where we talk about how to be awesome at everything we do. Here's Lindsay. Welcome back to the podcast. We are talking about health today. I love talking about health and nutrition. This one's a little bit different because we're talking about health in the way that I'm talking about healthcare and doctors and actually managing the care that your family gets. I've learned so much over the years, and I'm kind of going to share some personal experiences and some things I've never shared before just to give a little bit of perspective and why I feel like I've learned so much about this. Unfortunately, the, the the health struggles that we've gone through in my family and why I think I've learned so much through the process and why I think that's beneficial for everybody listening. So Um, right out of the gate, kind of approaching this topic, I think it is so important to value what you're told, but also not take everything as the final answer. Everybody has different experiences and education and perspectives. And I think it's just so important to always ask questions, always keep getting different opinions if it doesn't feel right. And Overall, you know, don't get complacent with it. Don't get lazy with it. And I always say on certain episodes, like, hey, I really think this episode is important. Let's hit pause on life and really focus on this. I mean, there's no there's no episode that needs that said more than this one just because we're all so busy and we're in, consumed in a whole bunch of things and we're pulled in a whole bunch of different directions. But hitting the pause button on life for the next half half hour or however long this episode is, I think is so important because I'm sure everyone would agree that there's nothing more important than our family's health. And a lot of times we don't think about the health of ourselves or the health of our family until someone's sick or has an issue or is having problems. But I'm talking about, of course, dealing with that, but I'm talking about a lot of this is, is before, is making sure that everyone has good doctors dialed in before something happens and making sure that we're thinking about all the things that go into our health, our mental health, our physical health and nutrition and all that stuff. And so much of that is why I love functional medicine and why I've really like 
really plunged into that so much in the last couple of years, just because I think that it's all, it all goes together. I think that, you know, good food, good mood. I think that stress can make us sick. In fact, I think it can kill us. And so just managing all that, I just think this topic is so big and so important and it's been on my list forever. And I just thought, you know what, tonight I'm doing it, how to be awesome at managing your family's health. I think that especially now, if you're listening to this real time, health is so present on our minds, but I think it really should be all the time. So diving right into sort of my journey with health struggles and why it's become so important for me to manage my family's health, my husband and I got married when I was 28 and when he was 38. And so a year or two before that, um, my husband was having like just a, t- a little tiny bit of heart something, like o- like almost nothing. And I thought, you know, I saw on Oprah that there are these vans that do body scans. And I've since learned that these vans, like, I don't even think they really have them anymore. This was quite a long time ago, like 15 years ago, um, but aren't really that great because the tests aren't super conclusive and, you know, there's radiation and stuff involved. So it kind of turns out that, that those aren't, that th- that type of thing necessarily isn't ne- always the best option, but at the time it was perfect. So I remember seeing on Oprah that if you have an extra $800, you should do a body scan. And I was like, all right, you know, I kind of just have a weird kind of feeling. He sometimes says he feels a little off. So I sent him, set him all up at one of these body scan vans. And it came back at age 38 that he had quite a bit of blockage that we would have never known, blockage blockages in his heart. So from there, I was relentless. And we didn't know necessarily what that meant at the time. And we know now it's become a much a much bigger thing over over the last 15 or so years. But thank goodness I found an amazing cardiologist who has been with us forever now. And in fact, now he's his he's uh, Craig's concierge cardiologist, which I'll kind of get into all that um, because I'm not sure that most people know about that. I don't know that I would know about it if we didn't have so many health issues that that we've kind of faced with Craig. So we did the crazy van scan. Something was off. I did. Re- I did a lot of research. I wanted someone who was kind of young, out of school, and just innovative, and could kind of relate to Craig. Craig's also a guy that he is a good time Charlie man, and I know that especially before me, he ran his his body hard. I mean, he says like sort of jokingly, but not at all that if he never met me, he wouldn't be alive, which let me tell you, he's not joking just because he's such a good time. And he never did drugs or anything crazy, but he would just drink and, you know, eat and, uh, you know, just really stress, not, I mean, like, you know, crazy eat and crazy drink and just everything to the extreme and not take care of his body. So when I met him, I was like, whoa, like we can still have a good time, but we got to reel this in a little bit. And then when we had this um, kind of red flag with the heart issue, I was like, you know, because Craig is such a good time, Charlie, I need him to have someone who he can relate to. I just know him and I just know that, you know, someone who, you know, a 70-year-old doctor who's going to tell him he can, you know, kind of scold him and tell him he can never, ever, ever do this or this or this. I just know he's going to, you know, plug his ears and not do any of it. So, um, I did research and found that Dr. Rajput, who is, um, like I said, our amazing cardiologist, now has his own practice. But at the time, he was within a group 
We found him, did a whole bunch of tests and, and every test possible. And that's when I really started recording health stuff because I was like, there's no way that I'm ever going to remember all this. You know, we're doing different tests, tests I had never heard of. And sometimes we had to go to different labs to do it. And we were all over the place. So I'm going to share the two books. One is for kids and one is for adults. They are $8 each and they are incredible. You have to get one for yourself and everyone in your family or everyone you love and you literally just record everything that goes on. It's super simple. I keep it in my kitchen, literally like in the cabinet by the plates. So it's there all the time. If I have a couple, it's this is not something that you put like in the garage, in a shelf, you know, to never pull out again. This is one of those things that you have it somewhere close by to where you think of it often and you just jot stuff down. I'll get into more of that later why I'm so obsessed with these books, but it was very important for me. I could see early on that, listen, like I'm going to have to manage this because doctors are so incredible. I mean, the the selflessness of doctors, I will never fully understand. And I just think it's the most incredible thing. So, um, but I also think, you know, not but, but doctors also have so many people, right? Like they have so many people to worry about, whereas we just have ourselves and our family to worry about. So we have to take it on ourselves. And I think that I used to think of health as like you have your doctor and it's your doctor's responsibility to keep you healthy and help you if you have issues and things like that. But since with everything that I've gone through, I've completely shifted my thinking And now I really believe wholeheartedly that you have to manage your family's health. You have to keep it organized yourself. You have to be on top of it. You can't get lazy with it. You have to ask questions. You have to get second opinions. Even if you're not sure of things now, I am in no way like a hypochondriac. I'm not, you know, running everyone to the doctor for every little thing, but I do think it is better to, you know, waste a couple hours getting something checked out than, you know, if if you have that feeling. I'm so interested in when your gut tells you something, because I've just done a lot of research lately on you when, you know, that gut feeling is actually a part of your brain that remembers all of your life experiences and kind of triggers it. So like, there's just something so powerful about it. So anyways, if you have that gut feeling, go in, waste a couple hours at, you know, worst case and get checked out or have someone check you out or, or someone check out your kids. Because I just think that it's so important to not get lazy with it. And even if you have just something a little bit off, I just think that it's, um, it's, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing more important. Like, what are you going to do in those three hours? That's more important than making sure you're okay. I think that going in when there's a little problem is, is so important. Um, don't wait for it to get bigger. I mean, even dermatology issues, you know, if you have a wart or if you have a skin issue by waiting. And I think a lot of people just dread the doctor or dread the dermatologist. So they wait, or even with the dentist, but I'm telling you, you have to go in when it's little, even if it's something you're dreading, bite the bullet and get it over with. It's just so much better. And I just think, um, being proactive is everything. And again, you don't want to be a hypochondriac because you don't want to drive yourself crazy and you don't want the, you know, medical professional professionals that I call your team, like the doctors that you go to, to not take you seriously, like the boy who cries wolf who's in there all the time, you know, every other week for a different issue. But I do think there's something about being proactive. And I'll get back to kind of the rest of Craig's whole health history story, just because I think it's very important in this 
in, in this whole conversation. But right now, talking about being proactive, my little Stella is nine. And because of all of the heart issues that um, Craig has, we had all the kids scanned. And she complains of heart pains quite a bit. And we found that she has a floppy valve. Uh, one of her valves is a little bit floppy like Craig's. So right now she has a monitor they want they want her to have on for like two months, which is right on her chest. And it's a pretty big monitor, man. It's, you know, it's almost as big as like an old school pager. So it's not comfortable, but um, I wanted to be proactive about it. And, you know, how much would I kill myself if, you know, all that we've gone through and all that we know, and I kind of just, you know, we've done the EKGs, it, it says she's fine, but I just wanted to be proactive and kind of take to the next step. So um, she has one of those on right now. Um, okay. So back to, I'm going to kind of speed through Craig's whole health history, not to bore you with the whole thing, but I think it's really interesting and, and it shows, um, you know, the proactiveness of it. So, um, we got married. Craig's, um, health appears to be pretty stable. Um, in 2010, we have Stella and when she's two and a half, she's going to preschool. Okay. So this is 2012. We are sitting at the, um, orientation for, for Stella's first, um, time ever going to preschool and he's having some chest pains. He's like, I'm fine. We still go to dinner. We come home and he's like, I'm having some crazy heartburn. Drives himself to the hospital to Hogue and he was actively having a heart attack. So he was having a heart attack. So this puts him 2012. He's young. He is 48 um, right now. So he was um, uh, he was a young guy having his first heart attack. So then he goes in and has a couple stints put in. And from there, we've had lots of procedures. So he had um, his heart would race. He was was an AFib um, quite a bit ever since that heart attack. So he's had five AFib surgeries. Um, we go to this incredible, incredible doctor in Mission Viejo. Um, named Dr. Desai, and he is just one of the best in the country um, with this specific surgery, treating um, AFib. And so where, where your heart, heart's racing, they have to kind of go in and fix it. So he's had five of those surgeries, and then finally his heart was not racing as much. So it would race, it could race randomly, it could race if he had any alcohol at all, or um, a super cold ice water. And then once his heart went into AFib, it's just kind of like your day is ruined. You're in bed, you're miserable. Um, and you just kind of had to wait it out. So he really spent a lot of years pretty miserable. And I'm telling you, every time we went in for these things, I'm asking all the questions. I'm talking to all the doctors. I'm making sure everyone knows the history of it. Just because like I said, everybody's busy and this is so complicated and this is so important. You have to be, you have to be in there doing all the things. So he has lots of ablation surgeries. Um, fast forward, we have, um, Stella was a little one. Then we have Presley in 2012. Then we have Parker in 2017. So Parker is, um, six months old. This fast forward to November, 2017, Craig needs to go in for an angiogram, just goes into needs to like check things out, kind of clear things up. We're thinking worst case, he'll need a couple stints. We go up to Cedars, best team up there in LA for this. Um, I'll never forget. It's just like the worst waiting room ever because it's a, these heart surgeries are just so long. So I'm sitting outside. Uh, they come in, they bring me in and they said, he's still, he's still under, um, 
we we got in there and it was way too much. We could we there's nothing we can even there's nothing we can even do. He needs open heart surgery, and I was like. I mean, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, are you kidding? I mean, I have a, you know, I have a five-month-old baby at home. We're in LA. So with traffic, I mean, it's, you know, anywhere from two to three hours from home. And I knew he was going to end up being there for a while. Like all these things are just racing through my mind. And I was like, can I please, because they're, they're like, he's on the table. He's still like opened up. We still have the screens going, but I, I, I'm just really confident that we got to just close him up and we got to admit him and he has to have open heart surgery in a couple of days. So I say, okay, you please, can I come back and see the monitor? So I go back, I see the monitor. He explains everything to me. I mean, only half of which I understand. So I'm videotaping it and then I'm sending it to Dr. Raj, but so he can see. I'm sending it to my good friend, Sam, because her brother-in-law is one of the cardiologists that ended up working on Craig. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like my whole point in telling you this, this long story is that I didn't, when he came out and just said that, I wasn't just like, you know, crying in my head and which would totally be an appropriate response. But I just said, okay, listen, my job is to manage my family's health. I need to know all the information. I can't just tell, you know, I'm not fully going to understand it. I can't just accept what he's telling me. I got to see it. I have to know, and I have to be able to share all this with everybody. So I went back there. I videotaped the screen of what he was explaining to me. I sent it off to everyone who, who needed it. And then they, you know, sewed Craig back up. I paced around, I paced around the lobby for hours until I could go back and see him. And we both just sat there like, I can't even believe this is happening. He he needs open heart surgery. So he had to stay up at Cedars for a full 10 days in a hospital room. They said that there was so much blockage in his heart. It wouldn't even be, it wouldn't be safe for him to go home. Like you couldn't even go home to like all the medications and supplements that he takes had to be completely flushed out of his body before going in for this big surgery. So he had to stay at Cedars on full monitors. I mean, basically like, you know, they didn't even want him to like get up because they felt like his heart was so unstable, which is so crazy because, you know, the, you know, months before, days before, weeks before he was, just, you know, walking around, not even knowing we kind of were being proactive and doing this, you know, this procedure. But they said, no way you are too big of a risk. This situation is so extreme. You can't leave which wouldn't have normally been that big of a deal, but it was right over our little Stella's birthday. So he had to, um, and, and we do birthdays big in our house. Um, it's just, you know, we, we love, I love celebrating. I love making the birthday person feel special. Um, and this year Stella had always wanted to have a celebration. So we were doing a new year's themed party. So it just felt extra special. We were doing it Pelican Hill and we had a ball drop and a DJ and, um, she wanted the nitrogen ice cream. It was just like, we were all as a family so excited. So his um, surgery was set up for her party was on a Saturday and then her actual birthday was on a Monday and then his surgery was set up on a Tuesday, the day after her birthday. So basically he's locked up in the hospital, can't leave through her party, through her birthday. And then, you know, we hope he's okay and, and come home shortly thereafter. So it just felt like, and listen, I understand that people have gone through much worse than this. Um, I'm just kind of sharing my experience and my perspective on this. And I promise you I'll get to the big old point of how this all, you know, is a good takeaway for you and how I think that everybody can kind of learn from situations like this. Um, but for us in our family in this moment, it felt devastating and the unknown of it. And to know that they wanted to take him in for a quadruple bypass surgery. So, I mean, it is as risky and as scary and as invasive as they get. 
So he stays in there for 10 days. We, um, I wanted to cancel the party. I was like, how can I even be happy? And he's like, no, no, no. I do not want this to be, you know, you know, it's already so sad for the family. I don't want her to not have her party and have to tell all, all of her friends and cancel all this and everything's already booked. It's only 10 days out. No way. So I'm like, all right. Okay. If that's what you want and I see your point, let's do it. So we have her party and then, um, this was obviously all very pre COVID years and years before. So, um, and I just say that because I wouldn't, you know, try to break rules normally, but we got through the party and we were just so, so sad. So on Stella's actual birthday, um, our good friend, Brandon, I sent him with a big cake that was in the shape of a seven covered in solid Skittles, right? So a huge sheet cake covered in Skittles and brought it up to the hotel, uh, hotel brought it up to um, Craig's hospital room. Um, so it was kind of like he brought the, he brought the cake and I did little other things in, in the room, like, you know, kind of he set it up for her. The only thing is you have to be 14 to have any visitors. And obviously the girls were, you know, six, six no, five and then seven, five and just turned seven. And so I, um, man, one of my favorite, one of my favorite things to figure out is just how to turn any no into a yes. And so this one was one of those where I walked in with confidence and my plan was to go in and just be like as kind as possible and explain the situation. And I don't, I hate to put people in, you know, a situation with, you know, their job, they're just doing their job. But I was like, all right, guys, this is what we're doing. You put, you, you, you just, you'll walk in strong and you just go. And we just walked right on through. And the nurses were like, how did that even happen? I'm like, I have no idea. We were confident. I didn't, we just, we walked on through. I mean, the girls were five and seven. They don't look 14. I don't know. Maybe it was a look of determination on my face. I was not taking it no, but we just charged right up there, right past the front desk and um, went up and got to see Craig. It just made him so happy. And that's another thing is I really think that if you or your loved one are going through things like this, the, your, your mental state of mind, keeping us healthy, keeping us happy and positive. I swear him going into that surgery the next day was a totally different experience than if he wouldn't have seen his whole family. He just felt like, you know, he missed out on, on so much. And, and we were also scared of the surgery, um, that it was such a good thing. So push when you need to push when it's important to your family, I think. So he goes in, um, it was the longest eight hours of my whole life. They wanted to do, I don't even know what it's called. So they wanted to do a quadruple bypass. They get in and then they wanted to do a five way bypass. I'm sure that's not what it's called, but they couldn't, they couldn't, it would have been too hard. It was too unstable. So they ended up doing a triple bypass is the most that they could do in those eight hours without making it too risky of a surgery. And I'm telling you, the recovery of this thing was, it was absolutely crazy. I really had no idea. He had drains in his chest, three in his chest. And then when he was in the the hospital, he had two in his neck. So I mean, it was, it was a lot. So he was in the hospital for like 10 days after the surgery. I was driving up and back. Um, The kids were of course in school and then Parker was a newborn. So I'd take care of the kids all day. And then I would, well, I would take care of the kids all day. And then I'd put them to bed, but nice early bedtime. And then I'd jam at like 7 PM and I'd go there and stay till midnight. And then I'd come home because I wanted to be there managing the health. I mean, that's, that's one of the, 
the best points about this thing is you got to be there and you got to be there managing it because, you know, the person who it's happening to can't always remember everything and be responsible for the medications and the timing of it. You know, they're going through it. They're experiencing it. So it was important for me to be there. Then in the morning time, I um, had a family member watch Parker. My mom and sister were so incredible through this whole thing. I would drop off the girls at school and then I'd head up there and, and to, for as long as I could until I picked them up from school. So then I'd be with the kids from, you know, 2.30 until bedtime and then go back up. So it was twice a day, every day for 10 days. And so it was lack of sleep and I realized I needed to take care of myself just so that I could, you know, not crack and 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 do all this. And then when Craig got home, it was so, so crazy changing the bandages and um, dealing with the drainage. And it was, it was much harder. So basically I had a, I mean, he wasn't, he was five months old, so it wasn't a newborn, but still a baby who's kind of waking up through the night. And then I had to wake up and change Craig's bandages like every two hours a night. So it was, it was wild. It was so, so wild. Dr. Raj puts incredible um, and he came to the house a couple times when we had some complications with the drains and things like that. But it was, it was no joke. And this whole time I documented everything, every medication that he was on, just because I would net, you think at the time you're going to remember, but you really won't. And since then, so many people have asked us, you know, was he on this or how did he react to this? So if anything, you know, if he had a bad reaction to something, I would just write it all down in these books. And I think it's so important. Talking about the concierge doctors. Now, I don't even know how much I would know about this um, if I didn't go through all this with Craig. But from my experience, concierge doctors are about $5,000 a year to like $20,000 a year. And they're basically on call for anything you or your family need. So obviously it's super pricey, but for us, we actually have two concierge cardiologists just because Craig's health condition is so extreme. Um, and you know, after that, after that, um, triple bypass, we've, you know, still had to see lots of doctors and, uh, constant tests and treadmill tests and, um, EKGs and just all the things. And we just have to be, we know that he, um, is genetic, genetically, he was kind of effed and has smaller, arteries like the 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 tubes that should be big are like half the size and we know that he was hard on himself as a young person for sure so lifestyle contributed to it and um you know i guess just a combination of those two things maybe even a little bit of bad luck <laughs> thrown in there and he really has so i mean at this point like at this point when they were doing the triple bypass i mean they were you know telling us, you know, trying to be realistic. So we had a real perspective of things. And, you know, at 45, he was, he had a 65 year old plus heart, like 65 would be generous. Um, just the state, the state of his heart and all the things that, that his, his body was, you know, stressed with. Um, and also, you know, being an entrepreneur and having several businesses and things, I think that he is a very calm, cool guy. So you wouldn't think of him as being stressed, but it's stressing on the body, just having, you know, having lots of, lots of employees and lots of things to worry about. So we kind of had to dive into, um, that whole part of it too, but back to the concierge doctors, we have Dr. Rajput who we've always had. And then we brought on Dr. Abramson, who is an incredible, um, concierge cardiologist as well. 
Um, Heather and Terry Dubrow have used him for years and recommended him to us. And we just love him. And it's great because they're totally different. They come from, you know, different schools, different backgrounds. He's an older guy. So, you know, um, Dr. Raj puts a little bit more aggressive with Tess. He's more conservative. It's just a great balance. And it's a lot of money to spend each year to have both of them. But, um, like I said, Craig's health is so unfortunately, um, I don't know the word, unstable, um, scary, risky, all of it, that having both of them doing tests, having a constant conversation, having a team, having a team that's constantly having a conversation of when, when different things come up or, um, you know, there are new technologies that come up. So Dr. Rajput found out about a guy in Texas who was injecting, you know, kind of like a dye in people's blood and it sends it through the whole body and it can really tell you about your blockage and um, all the arteries and how everything's functioning. Something really new and innovative that we couldn't even find here. So Rajput flew him to Texas and they did that test and that gave us a lot more information. So, you know, if you are able to, and if someone in your family is struggling with things, there's always ways and just having a team, then they're out there, you know, in their profession with, uh, you know, a radar out there, you know, keeping an eye out for things that they can bring back that could really help you. So I just think that having several doctors on your team and you don't need a concierge doctor to do it. You use regular doctors, but you know, go to specialists ahead of time, like before there's, you know, an issue per per se, or if there's a small issue, go. So that way you have a team, not just one doctor and keep up with it. I know so many people that don't have primary care doctors anymore or don't go regularly. And I'm telling you, I get it. If you feel good, it's like, why do I even need to go? It's such a pain. Like I just have so many other things to do, but it's just so important. If nothing else, they could catch something or maybe, you know, something happens, an accident, or you're not feeling well, you want to already have a relationship with someone that already knows you when you're feeling good before something happens. I just think it's, it's so important to do for you and for everyone in your family. Um, and listen, all these can be completely covered by insurance, your dermatologist, your um, primary care doctor, you know, your pediatrician, if you have little ones, if you have any issues, maybe you need um, a thyroid doctor or a kidney doctor or whatever it is. I just think that if you know you have any sort of family history or if you're not feeling well in certain ways, get those people on your team, get to know them. Um, don't wait for something bigger to happen to actually do it, you know? I love functional medicine so much, and the main reason is because it, one of the biggest philosophies is treating people when you're well, not just waiting until you're sick. Thinking about all the things, um, you know, supplements, diet, exercise, sleep, water, mental happiness, um, breathing, the art of breathing, which I'm reading about. And my husband's doing a couple audiobooks. He's filling me in is so interesting. And um, relaxing, meditating, all those things that go into it. And it's so interesting how I think that we forget that, like I said, stress can kill and our environment is just so important to our overall mental health. So I love the philosophies of functional medicine. You don't have to pay for a functional medicine doctor to kind of dive into the whole thing. Um, I go to Dr. Lekos. If you haven't heard my kind of first podcast on functional medicine, 
um, go back and listen to that one. It's how to be awesome at functional medicine. And um, I kind of go through all the basics in my first couple of visits with Dr. Lekos and all the different things I learned. But I just think I love the biggest takeaway of focus on your health while you feel good. Don't wait until you get sick. Dr. Lekos was a ER doctor and for years, and he was just like, I can't handle any more of this where I, I'm just, you know, sitting here waiting for, you know, people to come in. And by the time I see them, it's been 20 years of this bad habit that's brought them to this point. I want to work with people and be proactive about these things and call these things out before, you know, it's caused a big issue. So I love functional medicine. I think that um, this whole philosophy of taking time for health before you're sick is just so important. Slowing down, which is so hard for me because I like to run at a fast speed. I like being busy. Like I think I almost function better in like a mild state of chaos. And like in a, not in a like frantic way, just I like to be busy. I like things to be fast paced. So it's hard for me to slow down and breathe and, you know, get, you know, since I saw Dr. Lekos, I sleep so much more. I would absolutely let myself sleep four hours in order to get more done. Whereas now I won't. I tell them, I mean, unless something's crazy is happening, but six hours is the minimum. I always make myself get six hours just because I realize so much more now how, that's when the body repairs itself and recharges and it's just so important um, for everything else to be in balance. I still don't meditate. I want to, but I do relax more. Um, when I exercise, I am like, you know, either listening to nothing or music I like or a podcast. So for me, that is like that, you know, similar relaxation and fulfillment. And I just think it's so important. I mean, kind of wrapping up Craig's whole story. Um, geez, last month we were at Terranea in LA. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably saw, and I didn't post anything about this because it was so private and it was so consuming, but in the hospital, he had a heart issue and he had to be taken by ambulance to Torrance Memorial Hospital, which is far from our house. Thank goodness we were there vacationing with friends. I ran downstairs, pounded on their door and I was like, will you please come stay, you know, stay in my kid's room. I have to, I have to follow. They wouldn't let me go in the ambulance, of course, because of COVID. I get to the hospital. They say that he's had a heart attack. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me all over again. I can't, I physically can't even believe this. And with all that Craig's gone through, you know, now he's in the ER. I am not sure, you know, it's COVID. So there's no one allowed inside. I'm not sure how alert he is, how much damage has been done, if he's evil able to tell them all about his history. So I walked in and this was one of those things where, listen, I am a rule follower. I think that, you know, it's important to respect things. Um, but this was one of those situations where I went to the front desk guy and I, I walked in and I was like, uh, my husband had a heart attack. He was brought here by ambulance. I absolutely have to get back there. He's like, no way, no how it's COVID. There's no one, there's no one, there's no one back there. And I looked at him and I had my mask on. I just looked at him right in the eye and I said, I pointed outside because I wasn't going to sit in the waiting room. I'm going to be sitting on that curb, but I'm not leaving until I get back there to see my husband. I understand you're just doing your job, but you have to understand this is, I have to, I have to make sure my husband's okay. I have to get back there. He's like, all right. Like I can tell he's like, oh geez, you're going to be a pain for me. I know it. 
And I just did all the things. So I went and sat on the curb and I called. I called the hospital, I mean, that was right in front of me. I got a hold of, of the lead nurse and I just said, listen, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go in a side entrance. I'll wear whatever you want me to wear. I have, a, I have an N95 mask. Like I'm doing all the things, but I have to get back there. Like I just have no idea how bad this is. I have to be able to talk to the doctors, please. So, you know, of course they told me no, no, no. And then after maybe like 40 minutes on the curb and just being relentless and sitting on hold, they opened a side door. I was able to walk into where I wasn't, you know, um, kind of around other people for other people's safety and my own, the whole thing. Um, and then I sat in there and they told me I could just have a couple minutes. And then I ended up staying in there, I think for four hours, um, talking to the doctors and it ended up being okay. Um, it was a mild, heart, mild heart attack. And there was mild damage. Um, but his heart was out of rhythm. He was back in AFib and they couldn't get him out of AFib. So we had to stay all night that night. And it was just, so then we're all at the hotel in the pool and it felt like, oh my gosh, this is just like the worst thing ever. So he had to stay an entire next day, an entire next night. They still couldn't get him out of AFib, but they felt like he was stable enough to go. So he goes and we extend our stay just to chill by the pool and just not make it the, you know, to make the story end at that point that would have been a very sad ending. Then his um, heart still didn't get back in rhythm. So we waited a week. We went back down to Dr. Desai in Mission Viejo, who's done all of his, um, all of his AFib surgeries. And um, they went in there and did a procedure for him. And then, an, and then they, um, an angiogram to kind of check out how things were. And it was okay, but then the really scarier part is they had to use the paddles on him to cardiovert him to shock his um, heart back into rhythm, which was super scary. So um, he's stable now. We still go to the cardiologist once a week to kind of keep on things. But I'm telling you, um, I really think, and not being boastful, but if I wasn't so persistent about this thing, and if I didn't make it the highest priority in my life to um, be his partner in this and um, make sure that I have all the information and I have the lists of the medications he's taking so that at a moment's notice, I can always provide that to people. Um, here are the supplements, here is the medication, and, and all those kind of things are just so important. And be relentless. Don't take no. I mean, respect rules, but keep pushing. I had to, I had to get back. I was not leaving that curb and that guy saw it in my face and that nurse heard it over the phone that just, you know, I had no idea at that point how bad it was. And thankfully it ended up being minor and, and we got through it and, um, you know, things are better now and he's comfortable now and happy. And for the moment things are, are stable and good, but I'm telling you, I have, um, such a crazy issue because, because, you know, we all love our family so much. I mean, I have such undying love for him. He is my person. There is no other person. Like, um, I just, he, he's, you know, we, he's my world. We've created this world together and we work so hard and we've worked so hard at our relationship and we just, it just works. And I'm so grateful. And I know that so many people, um, that that's such a blessing that that doesn't always happen. And the idea of something happening to him and coming so close so many times, what felt like to maybe losing him, man, that will, that will do something crazy for your mind. And it's actually kind of given me, 
I just, I worry, it just given me like a worry, some issue that I wouldn't normally have just because I try to always work through all my issues, but just having, you know, a husband with, you know, such intense heart disease and heart issues, it'll make you crazy. It'll make you crazy. It'll make you think about it all the time and worry about it all the time. But I try to be optimistic and positive and organized and, you know, just always keep fighting. Like I said, um, doctors have so many things on their plate. You have to always be thinking of the different things and researching the different things and, and hearing people's stories. And I think also, you know, on this podcast, I am, you know, it's funny because I feel like I'm vulnerable all the time. I'll call out my fails, but people all the time will direct message me like, tell me more stories. So hopefully the story was interesting and informative, but because I really just always try to bring value. That's my goal in every podcast that I do is how can I show up and bring value in some sort of topic, whether it's something lighthearted, like, you know, parties and celebrating, or if it's something more intense and deep like this, I always try to be transparent. And, um, I also don't share stories that I feel like aren't my story to tell. Um, but this is something my husband doesn't mind me sharing. And of course, you know, if it helps other people and helps, you know, someone maybe take that jump, like, you know what, this, I'm glad I listened to this because, you know, either for yourself or someone you love has been saying they don't feel well. I'm telling you, you have to be proactive with it, even with something little, because you just don't know what it could be. And if you catch it early, it can be so much better. If Craig would not have had that, I mean, first of all, if Craig had had met me and I didn't slow him down, his lifestyle would have killed him for sure. Um, especially because of the heart issues. But really, if we do that, didn't do that initial scan, it is a very, because then we he was on monitors and watches and he still had a heart attack and he still had all the things, you know, he likely would have, I mean, who knows, but doctors have said he likely would have just had a massive heart attack in his sleep one day just because he had so much buildup. Those arteries were so blocked and we just didn't know, you know, you just got to check it out even if you feel something little. Um. I got to I got to pick this episode up. We got to end this lighthearted. I'm telling you. So, talking about being awesome at being organized, I love these two record-keeping health books. And I love that it's like, you know, a small little investment and easy to do. They are on Amazon. They're 7.99. They're these little books. They are you can fill in as much or as little as you want. I just like that it's all in one place and it fits in your purse. You take it with you, you bring it into the doctors. And it includes everything that you want to have in there. And I jot things down. I take it to every appointment that I go to for myself, for the kids, or with Craig. And it's just the best logbook. And listen, you got the you have the whole thing there. And the cool thing is to catch up when you go to the doctors, or you can call and request records. Sometimes they'll make you kind of pick them up, or they could maybe send it in a zip file, whatever. But ask your doctor for the. And sometimes you have to pay for it a little bit, which I feel like it's you know it's so worth it. Ask them for your full health record and get these books caught up. Don't just start them now, but ask for your full health record and as far back as you can can get. And then um, get these books nice and full and then bring them everywhere. I think that it will just make you feel so much better. It will make you more proactive about health and think about it. It will keep you way more organized and know the questions that people ask of you. But I think that... Um, it'll also just make you feel more calm because that's what this whole thing is about. Having good reactions, being calm, don't freak out whether it's happening to you or somebody else, because that, that that's not going to, that's not going to get you any closer to solving this problem in the best way. So I find that by being organized and being proactive, 
I am more calm and collected, even when I feel like I'm sitting in the middle of the worst case scenario, just because, um, just because we've spent time focusing on health. We have a good team. I'm confident because it doesn't feel like a fire drill, even though this is like we're in an emergency situation. It doesn't feel as much like a fire drill because we have the team in place. Um, I've got my stuff organized and we've made health a priority. So you're just more confident that things will be okay and you know, you'll make it through. I'm telling you, there is nothing more important than our health and, you know, feeling good and being happy and having a good quality of life with your health. I don't know. I love this topic. I love everything about it. Even though this was kind of a downer episode, sorry for my downer stories. I just think it's so important to listen to other people and learn from other people's experiences and, um, you know, take those experiences and make the best decisions for you and for your family. And like I said, I love these little books. I think you're going to love them. You have to buy them for everyone in your family. They're the easiest little things and good quality. And it's just your whole health history wrapped up in one little book. So I'll make sure to link those in the show notes. Um, please ping me on Instagram. Let me know what you got out of this, maybe what you're going to do that you weren't going to do or um, a health story. I love hearing other people's stories and perspectives of kind of what you've learned and what you've learned in a time where you were proactive or you wish you would have been proactive. I'd love to learn and um, love to share it with this community that we have. I am so grateful for you guys for listening. I'm so grateful for this platform. I'm so grateful for, you know, all of the great educators and doctors that put information out to the universe so we can all consume this information and come together and have this great conversation. So thank you so much for listening and cheers to your health. Thanks for listening to the How to Be Awesome at Everything podcast. For more info about today's episode and all past episodes, head over to howtobeawesomeateverything.com where we break it all down. Tell us what you thought of today's topic on Lindsay's Instagram at Lindsay's Cloud. Until next time, go out and be awesome because that's exactly what you are.